Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever time of day you're listening. We are When Bad Things Happen to Good People, a podcast about censorship in the arts. My name is Todd Sullivan. That guy over there is Oren Barter. That's me. And today, we are not talking about the autobiography of Malcolm X. Welcome back, Oren. It's good to be sitting here with you again. Yeah, you too. Sharing our our virtual space. It'll be weird if we ever do this recording face-to-face in in person. I don't know how I would feel about that. Well, after COVID, I think everything's going to be a little bit different. Yeah. Assuming there is an after COVID. Oh, yeah, there'll be an after COVID. That's a pretty big assumption these days. No, no. There was an after the Spanish flu. There was an after the measles. There was an after polio. There's an after this. You're so optimistic. I really appreciate that in my life right now. Uh, what's going on in your life these days? Well, um, same as last time. Been trying to lose some weight. I think I'm down to 167 now, which is good. And uh, in the spirit of low calories, um, which you introduced me to with low calorie beer for, um, I don't know if you want it open that you're a diabetic. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, I have no problem about that. I think I mentioned um, that last uh, time anyway. Oh, okay. So I remember I came over to visit you once and you were worried about your calorie intake. So you had slim and clear and it's pretty good. So that's what I got tonight. Yeah. That's uh it wasn't, I mean, calories for one thing, but also uh, carbs primarily, um, which can be kind of hefty in beer. Oh, okay. Um, but uh, they, uh, a can of slim and clear only has two grams of carbs. Holy shit. You're right. Uh, 80 calories actually, so that's like all alcohol like all the calories are pretty much alcohol pretty much yeah um one of my my new sort of low carb beer that i've been drinking is uh it's called steamworks refresh and it's like a light beer with um little hints of fruit juice and fruit fruit puree and it only has is it chunky? three grams it's not chunky okay um it's not like when they um, say puree I, I imagine like a smoothie yeah, but I don't think there's very much in there. Okay. Right? Um, and and this only got three grams of carbs per can, so a little bit more than um, the Slim and Clear, but still not very much. Like for example, this is uh, this is guava lime, and so along with the water, malt, hops, yeast, and sea salt, it has guava puree and lime concentrate. Um, so that gets you that little bit of fruity flavor uh, without with a whole lot of carbohydrate to go along with it. And I quite like these. Those are, they're, uh, they're quite refreshing. And since I'm a fan of, uh, of sours, um, these give me a bit of that kind of an experience without, you know, a big, big, heavy carby beer. So there's like no low carb rattlers out there. I don't know that there would be because the whole concept of a rattler is that it's half juice, right? Right. Okay. Yeah. And that juice is going to be pretty carby. Can't you just like get beer and get like one of those like Mio squirt things, those zero sugar things and just like into your beer? Yeah. I'm going to try that. Yeah, I could maybe do that. I'm going to try that. Because yeah, that's zero sugar. And then a low carb. Then you got like a low carb Rattler. Yeah, kind of. Boom. That's patented. You've you've come up with a life hack right there. (laughs) 
<laughs> I guess you can't patent a life hack, yeah, because I didn't. I don't own the beer or the meal. Yeah. So. Uh, maybe we'll have to uh, next time we record. We'll have to try to mix up one of those live on the recording, and we'll we'll see how it pans <laughs> out and we can review the experience. Deal. Okay. Um, so, as I said at the beginning, um, we are not talking about the autobiography of Malcolm X uh, this time because we've been bad and we are behind on our reading yet again. Um, I, I ask you to not uh, try to calculate how many pages we needed to read in two weeks because, uh, by all accounts, you really should have been able to get through it, and, <laughs> and we have no excuse. Um, however... I wanted to get uh, a podcast out. I'm really not a fan of missing episodes. Um, and so what we've decided to do is look at something that is at least tangently connected to the autobiography of Malcolm X. And that is uh, the film Gone with the Wind. Uh, it is connected because it is mentioned early on in the book. Uh, when Malcolm is young, he goes to the movie theater and he watches it and uh he is the only black person in the theater and uh, is, you know, experiences some amount of shame at the portrayal of blacks on the screen, particularly um, um, one character, uh, the character of Prissy, who we'll get to when we uh, get talking about the movie. Um, but Gone with the Wind is also kind of connected to censorship in 2020 because there was a lot of cries that it was being censored earlier this year when it was temporarily taken down from uh, the new HBO Plus streaming service. Mm, they didn't take it down to remove it. They did take it down because they wanted to have some context around the depiction of race in the film. Specifically, they added uh, about a, a five-minute video um, in front of the film talking about how the film handles race and, uh, and not there's well. also uh, a feature, there's a, a one hour discussion sort of about the Gone with the Wind uh, in history and how, how it holds up and uh, you know, whether it's problematic and, uh, and so sort of there's a longer discussion around that subject available on HBO plus all of which I think is irrelevant to us in Canada because uh, we don't have HBO plus uh, but we did uh, it is available on Netflix if you want to check it out if you haven't though I will state off the bat uh, I'm probably would only give it about two and a half stars really eh? yeah what was your thought if you had to give it a, a, a review a rating uh, I didn't really think about it but I think three and a half. Three and a half? The cinematography was beautiful. Like there were yeah. some shots where you just like, you're watching it, you sit back, you're like, man, that is, I don't know if that is a painted background or if that is an actual sunset, but some yeah, shots were just gorgeous. Quite often in that era, they would be, um, there would be painted backgrounds, obviously. Um, but yeah, I agree. A lot of the cinematography was gorgeous. I think Technically speaking, it's it's a spectacular film. It all of it looks really good, um, and and what year? What I I should know this. What year did it come out? Nineteen thirty nine. No. Yeah. Holy crap! Yeah, the book. 
the book came out in 1936. The rights to the film were bought almost immediately afterwards. In fact, there were um, there were people, I think, trying to get the rights to the film uh, even before it was published. Um, and then there was apparently some delay in getting the film started, partly because I think the director wanted... Um, oh, I can't think of the actor's name, but the guy who plays Rhett Butler in the film um, wanted that actor particularly. Mm-hmm. And it, it took some time to convince him to come aboard and everything else. But... Uh, yeah, I believe it came out in 1939. And uh, it is, if adjusted for inflation, still the highest grossing film of all time. Although, obviously, you know, you look at it, it didn't make that much for what dollars were worth at the time. Right. Um, but it was um, it was the highest grossing film of all time, uh, not adjusted for inflation for a very long time. It was nominated for a buttload of Academy Awards, won a buttload of Academy Awards. Um, the actress who played Mammy, whose name mm-hmm. I can't remember right now, um, but she was the first black actress to be nominated for an Academy Award and to win an Academy Award. I actually watched um, a documentary a series. Uh, I can't remember what it was called, but it was about... Uh, like African Americans and and black people in like uh, uh, British black people as well in uh, in the movie scene and the TV scene and like the hurdles oh, yeah. that they had to go over and I they actually I, I can't remember if they had her talking on it but they she was definitely mentioned because that's a big that's a big thing right to win an Academy Award. To be the first totally, yeah. black woman to win an Academy Award. But there was everyone that talked about it, there was kind of like this, you know, this tone, like it was that was the only kind of character that they could portray at that time. Yeah. Right? I read a quote from her recently somewhere uh from that time, uh, because she was criticized for taking the role. And she said something along the lines of, I'd rather make $700 for playing a house servant in a film than $7 for being one. That's a depressing quote. Mm-hmm. But um, the, the, um, at the premiere, mm-hmm. she was not invited to the premiere. Really? And, uh, and so Clark Gable, uh, who played Rhett Butler, um, was initially going to boycott the premiere over that. Although they did eventually convince him to come. And then again, uh, during the Academy Awards, she was, of course, segregated at a separate table. So for, you know, all of the supposed progress that's associated with the notion of her getting that Academy Award nomination and her receiving the Academy Award, it was surrounded by, you know, some continued examples of of ongoing racism, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, there. Um, speaking of the like the technical aspects of the film, there are two elements of it that really struck me kind of as my favorites. Um, the first is there's a, a recurring shot that occurs three times in the movie um, where it's sort of a character silhouetted as a camera pulls back. Um, 
and we we see the the whole of their plantation Terra as the camera pulls back. The one the, the first is at the very beginning when uh, Scarlet is with her father and the father's talking about the importance of property. Mm-hmm. Um, and the you know pulls back and there's there are two silhouettes and the silhouette of a tree and Terra the plantation is in the background. It happens again at the end of the second act um, after uh, Scarlet has made it back to the plantation, um, sort of following the um, huge casualties in the Civil War. Um, the plantation is still there, but it's been picked over by. Um, the Yankees, the family is still there, but they're basically um, penniless, uh, foodless, and sort of at rock bottom. And uh, it's that same shot again, the silhouette of her, the silhouette of the tree, pulling back. And, and again, now you've got Tara a bit more destitute in the background. And then the shot is repeated one more time at the very end of the movie after um, she's... She's kind of got her life again, like she's been successful, she's rich, but now she's kind of lost everything again. Um, but it's she's still hopeful for the future. Um, she's going to go back to Terra and sort of try to continue on with her life, and it pulls back again, and this time it's, it's beautiful again. Uh, it's rebuilt. It's just her standing there by herself. And so those three shots... Um, are very unique. I think they're very distinct to this film. Uh, and they did strike me as, as kind of visually impressive. Okay. Yeah. Did, did those strike you that way? Did, did they, I'm struggling to remember exactly what, like, is it with the silhouette with the tree and kind of the sunset? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That was, that was gorgeous. I particularly like the first two uses because it, there was such a dramatic change in her status from the beginning of the film to the end of, you know, the first act essentially yeah. before the intermission. Um, and, and those pictures showed, um, showed that, that change where you know, the first one is clearly that, you know, she's rich, the family is rich, mm-hmm. everybody's rich. Um, and now at the not end, everybody. Well, <laughs> The people that are important are rich. Um, we'll, and we'll get to that. Um, the The other shot that I really liked, and it's now probably in my list of sort of favorite film shots of all time, is the scene where Scarlett, um, uh, her best friend, Melanie, is about to have a baby. And so Scarlett is off to find the doctor. Now, meanwhile... They're in a city that's being assaulted um, mm-hmm. by the Northerners during the, the Civil War. And as she goes to get the doctor, um, she starts walking through all of the, the wounded and the dead that are lying on the ground outside of, I'm not sure where the doctor is, some kind of a, a temporary hospital. But uh, as she walks, it was a church. It was a church. It was a church? Yeah. Um, and so as she starts walking, you know, she passes by two, three, five, ten of these people. But as she continues to walk and as the camera continues to pull back, you know, now we see it's 20, it's 50, it's 100. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the end, there were, so there were, I, I, what I read is they actually had 800 extras on the ground there. And then another 800 
um, dummies. So there were essentially 1,600 characters uh, wounded and dead on the screen there. And, and of course, it pans back again further, further, further until you see there was, I think, the Confederate flag that was all tattered. And, right. Um, I think what was really interesting about that, that scene is, one, it shows, you know, how big an impact the, the war has had on the South at this point. Um, especially when you compare to how excited all of the Southerners were at the beginning of the film about the idea of war. Like, everyone was super excited about going off to war. Um, they're going to win. They're going to get to keep their slaves, which is the most important thing. Um, and now, clearly, they're they're losing quite badly, and many of them are wounded, and many of them are dead. And then the other thing I think it really drives home is the the futility of Scarlet's mission in that moment. Like, in her head, the doctor is going to ignore <laughs> yeah. these 1,600-plus people and, and come yeah. take care of the one woman who's pregnant. Like, but that that just the, speaks that just speaks to her character. The, the level of entitlement <laughs> in her character yeah. is from start to finish. Like even when she was destitute, it was like she still felt like she deserved everything. Yeah. But then, okay, um, you want to talk about great cinematography sure. and and all of that all those extras, all those dummies and, and everything being big and grand at that moment. I don't think it was, it was much long after that where one of the most corny shots in the film happened when she was riding in the buggy with Rhett and they did, oh. the, they did the old having like a, uh, something. Rear projection, yeah. Rear projection. They were just like standing still and moving and there was a rear projection of things moving yeah. behind them. And it was so obvious. And yeah, that, that stood but, out to me as like probably the worst cinematography. Yeah, but again, that's where you have to stop and remember that was 1939. And that was, that was what they could do. Like, right. But it compared to the like, rest of it, like it didn't feel like it was coming from 1939. Like there was a lot of shots. The majority of the movie just seemed like beautiful it was i'm amazed to know how old it is actually well some of the shots around like the um the the burning of the the city when they they lit up the um the ammunition Mm -hmm. some of those shots were a little bit iffy um i thought Mm -hmm. as far as like comparing them to modern shots but again it's it's a question of what is available and i mean you know the the shot of her walking through the bodies, that's a crane shot. And as long as cranes exist, like you can get that shot, but you know, following along with somebody on a, um, on a horse and carriage, I don't think they were able to like strap a camera into another horse and carriage to ride along <laughs> beside it at the time. So you just sort of yeah did the best you could. Cause there were scenes of them actually riding. There like, was, and them, that was, the, you saw that, them sort of leave. And yeah. Then, and you then it would like in the carriage switch as they in were between, riding with the rear projection. It almost and, seemed to like switch in between them actually riding in the street and then them riding in front of a Yeah. It was kind of jarring a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, there's moments like that. But But uh speaking of sort of the the technical proficiency in the film, um did you have any favorite scenes or uh, any moments that stood out to you? Um I think I think we kind of both gravitated to the same. I don't really remember the pan out, 
but I do remember the silhouette of the tree against the the sunset. Yeah. I thought that was really gorgeous. Um, favorite shots? I'm just trying. It was a long movie. I'm trying to run it through quickly in my head. Yeah, yeah. Practically four hours. It's a it's a long one. I was just pretty impressed with the whole thing. To especially now to realize like how old it was. Like yeah, it really does hold up. I would say the photography holds up quite well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, not what you expect when you think of a movie of that age. Yeah. There wasn't, you know, there wasn't a lot of action. I felt like the action, whatever action scenes there were, were a little, a little off. Mm-hmm. Um, I did like how, how rough Tara looked when she came back to it. Like when they were actually in the house, everything was stripped apart. Um, there was, it was basically just a shell of its former self. Yeah. Um, to have that kind of, uh, what do you, what would you call it? Um, stark contrast mm-hmm. in something that, you know, the first half of the movie happened in a lot of those same places. And then to see, now that took a lot of work to build those places up and then destroy them. <laughs> you know, yeah. like it's, it's a, it was actually really impressive. Well, and it was like that when she went back to, um, I think it's called Twelve Oaks too, mm-hmm. the um, the other plantation. Yep. And, and that, that was, was that was such a destroyed. short little, like the amount of work that went into that short little shot, because mm-hmm. she wasn't there for very long, and then the rest of the time that is is in Terra, right? Yeah. So. But with Twelve Oaks, I mean that one was completely destroyed, and it and it, it I think gives a sense that you know, um, an, an extra level of concern about what she might find when she gets to Terra. Like, right. will Terra be in the same state? Will there be anything left? I, I'll say that I, I I think I liked the first half of the film better than the second half of the film. Yeah. Maybe I, that's I think because that. there was more going on and there was more dramatic tension because of the war. Uh, and there was also the, the elements of, of Scarlet trying to get back to Terra and what was going to happen there. And um, sort of the, the the second half of the film, which is more about reconstruction um, and sort of Scarlet getting her fortune back in some nefarious ways, didn't hold my interest as much. Also, I guess potentially because I didn't care a whole lot about well I didn't care a lot about any of Scarlet's marriages the first one ends so quickly you know she marries a guy he goes off to war and then he promptly dies and that marriage was ridiculous she was into his brother and she's all like well I'm gonna make him jealous I'm gonna marry his brother before they go off to war yeah like yeah that was a petty decision um I mean every decision that she made oh yeah (laughs) well that's not true that's actually not true you know, the second marriage uh, to Kennedy was more about money, right? Um, he had opened his store. Uh, he was kind of in the lumber business, and she realized that the lumber business could be huge. Um, and so she basically, she knew Kennedy was going to marry another woman. Her friend. Her friend. So she or lied. Or was it her sister? Was it her friend or her sister? I, I I don't remember. 
It may have been her sister. Okay. Um, so, but she lied to him that her sister or the, the other woman had married yeah. somebody else so that he would marry her so she could basically get a lumber business. Which is nefarious, but which also she did to protect her family and keep her family alive. Yeah. It also makes her rich. But then it also leads to his death. Does it lead to his death? Yeah, it does. Well, because she's she's married to him, right? Or, or she convinces him to marry her. And then she just kind of runs the business how she wants. She's her own independent woman. She fights with him. You know, right, she's, but that's she's not really, what leads to his death. Yeah, well, it does because she decides to ride alone through a dangerous part of of town, right? And she gets attacked. And You're right. Women should not ride alone. That's not what I'm saying. You heard it here first. <laughs> Oren does not think women should be left unattended. No, that's not what I'm... That's, <laughs> that's not what I mean. I know. It's not what I mean at all. But the way... He feels like he has to defend her honor because she was attacked, and he goes out yeah. to to kill these people and ends up getting shot, getting killed, right. defending her honor, a woman who never loved him, um, who only used him to, like you say, get a lumber business. So yeah. in you know, in a way, it does lead to his his death. Not in and a misogynistic then, way, though. <laughs> uh, and then, of course, she eventually marries Rhett Butler, who's been pursuing her through the whole film. Um, who he just he he drifts in for a while to like hit on her, and then he drifts out of the movie for a while, and then he drifts back in again for a while. And he hits on her, and and I guess eventually she just kind of says, "Fuck it, I get married." And well, basically, she's like, either. "He's got money, so." But so does she by that point. Yeah, but not like him. Like, he was, like, filthy No, no, rich. he was very rich, but, yeah. like, I don't think she cared about the money, really. Maybe she did, but, I mean, she also quite enjoyed being self-made, because when they get married, she says, like, can I keep the mill? Like, that's important to her, that mm-hmm. she still has it, and that she's still able to, you know, generate money for herself. Okay, yeah. I think it was just... It was. I mean, literally, she, or he... He kissed her into marrying him, right? He's like, marry me. And she's like, no. Then he's like, I'll kiss you. Nom, nom, nom. And she's like, <laughs> oh, okay. And, and that was it. <laughs> like, and that must speak to the way that, like, the the dynamic back then. I guess, I mean, even, no, even now, there's, like, that whole, like, the guy's got to take charge. And, you know, it, but it seemed a bit more extreme in the movie. It was a little uncomfortable at times. Yeah, he was there you know, very much. When he was that like kind of grabbing and holding, and she was like struggling, and it's like, eh. Oh yeah, yeah. And that, that, I don't know how I feel about this. Right. That romantic scene near the end where he basically, you know, carries her upstairs to the bedroom against her will. Yeah, That's and fun. then and then she wakes up feeling the happiest she's ever been. Right. Eh, yeah. You know, yeah. not really. <laughs> yeah. I mean, come on. No, no, please don't have sex with me. Oh wait, that was actually pretty fun. Yeah. Marital rape is great. <laughs> oh my god. This is how they thought back then. <laughs> yeah, he was very much the um, uh, the stereotype, yeah, of that kind of very forceful, um, I'm going to tell you what to do and you're going to like it because I'm a man and you're a woman. Mm-hmm. But there was also a lot, of, a lot of talk about, like, marriage not entirely being about 
love. Like nobody really dated. It was just like, hey, marry me. Yes or no. And then they got married and that was it. That was their life together with or without sex. Um, Because there was this kind of implication again towards the end after um, Rhett and uh, Scarlett got married um, when she says that, you know, she says she didn't want to have children anymore. And, you know, sort of hints, you know what that means, which is to imply, I think that, you know, she's saying, I don't want to have sex with you anymore. Right. Um, He says, I could divorce you for that, which again, at the time is probably true. But then she talks about like her friend, Melanie, who, um, who can't, and she's married to Ashley, who is the man that Scarlett is actually in love with. Um, And uh, Melanie can't have kids anymore. And, uh, and she basically says, you know, Ashley doesn't, you know, doesn't do anything. Again, the implication being that because Melanie would die if she had children. And I guess there's not much in the way of birth control in 1939 mm. or earlier, because this mm-hmm. was during the Civil War. So it's actually in the 1800s. Um, if your wife would die if she got pregnant, you just have to kind of stop having sex with her. I don't remember what my point was here. <laughs> I don't. I will say um, maybe my favorite part of the movie, and this is this is a little bad, but um, so Rhett and Scarlett have a of a daughter that they named what is it, Bonnie Blue, right? Yeah. And so Bonnie Blue uh, ends up loving horses. She gets. I do you know where going. I'm going with this? I know where you're going with this. Yeah. <laughs> See. <laughs> Um, and so, you know, Red is teaching her to ride horses as she grows up. And, uh, there's this, um, this moment where, uh, Scarlet is sitting out in the back and, uh, and Bonnie is, is riding her horse and, uh, Rhett comes out to sort of apologize and say, maybe we can work things out because they've had some ups and downs. They've had some struggles. And, uh, and Bonnie is like, I'm going to, I'm going to jump over, um, the horse jump thing. Uh, and even raise the bar. Watch me. I can do this. And Scarlet is all scared. Oh my God, don't let her do it, Rhett. And Rhett is like, Bonnie, don't do it. And she's like, I'm going to do it. And I don't know about you, but I, I immediately knew what was going to happen there. And I immediately yeah. knew. Yeah, because that's how her dad died. Exactly. It was going to connect to her dad, who earlier in the film uh, died riding his horse and jumping his horse over a thing. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, this, Sorry, I this, shouldn't laugh at that, but yeah. This kid is going to die as soon as she jumps over this thing. And it's... um. Probably the least believable death I've ever seen in a film. Like the horse jumps over this thing, uh, the girl falls off the horse into the grass. She fell maybe two and a half feet. At a speed of five or six kilometers an hour. But she's dead. But she's dead. Which I mean tragic. I can't imagine yeah. losing a kid. But, but also one time I told my sister to run me over with a bike. And she wasn't going to do it. And I said, just do it. Trust me. And I just thought she wouldn't do it because she was my sister and she loved me. And I was young and I was stupid. And she comes barreling at me full speed. She must be doing like 20, 30 kilometers an hour. Flat into me. Down I go. Bike runs right over top of me. I get up. I got a few scratches. I'm crying, but I'm fine. That crash would not have. I'm sorry. Yeah, like you're right. It was like absolutely. I don't know why I said that story. It was a funny story, but <laughs> <laughs> don't tell people to thought, run. Don't tell people to run you over because they might do it. 
I thought that you were going to say you get to the end of the story, and I died. So and I you died. never know. You never know what's going to happen. No, I dangerous. just mean like, like the collision <laughs> with that bike was so much worse than that jump with the with that. It was like a, only a half size pony. Like it was a tiny little horse. Yeah, it was tiny. It was tiny. But uh, <laughs> and then I love that uh, they didn't think, or like the writers must have thought people aren't going to get this connection. They're not going to get the foreshadowing here. So she actually like, right. Yeah, when she, she drove a, off, she had to go like, like paw. <laughs> there were, um, <sighs> there's actually a couple of points towards the end that I found a little bit funny and just how, um, how dark it gets. Um, but before this scene, and this is actually kind of the moment that kind of, start some of the tension uh well maybe not start some of the tension but um th- it's sort of what leads eventually leads to ret um to apologize in that moment when the daughter dies but as a scene earlier ret and bonnie blue had been to england because uh, ret thought they needed some time apart and uh bonnie had started missing her mom so they come back uh bonnie goes to go check out her horse Meanwhile, Rhett and uh, Scarlet are chatting at the top of their grand staircase, and Scarlet reveals that uh, she's pregnant again. And, And they have some back and forth about um, who the father is. Um, She says it's Rhett. I think the implication that I got because of the timing is that this would have been a baby conceived during that moment of marital rape earlier in the film. And, you know, she says something like, "I I didn't want this baby, Rhett. And he says, um, well, you know, maybe you'll get lucky and take a fall. Or have an accident, I think he said. Or have an accident, yeah. something like that. And she's like, oh, and lunges at him to push him and then promptly falls down the <laughs> stairs. <laughs> it's just like, oh, my God. Like, like it, was, it was simultaneously shocking, but also like. Like, it just felt so on the nose. That yeah, was like, really a lot movie? of things felt like really on the nose in this movie for sure and it it's maybe one of those things that like they're they're cliche or on the nose now because of moments like that but at the time you know viewers would have looked at that and been shocked by it but yeah uh, i mean like nowadays somebody might write that same situation but they might say well you know maybe you'll be lucky and have an accident and then a couple of scenes will pass and then in, in the next scene something will happen and then they'll call back to that conversation. Yeah. The thing, rather than yeah, everything they, happening like immediately, right? Maybe maybe they couldn't have done that in Gone with the Wind, though, because it was already four hours long and they needed to, <laughs> they needed to cut it short. How can we keep this from getting any longer? Let's just have her fall right after that gets mentioned. That'll that'll speed things up. Man, it's just something I want to talk about. I don't know if it's relevant or whatever, yeah. but... Th- Correct me if I'm wrong, but the acting in the second half, I mean, I know you don't like the second half as much, but the acting in the second half was so much better than the acting in the first half. Especially at the very beginning of the film, like everything was so exaggerated. Every sigh, yeah, the, every... Yeah, the, the opening seemed like, it almost seemed like it was a musical. Yeah. It almost seemed yeah. like people were going to start like breaking out into song <laughs> bands and have that kind of... It was like so and, choreographed. It's like, oh, you really go to the barbecue with me? Ah, you know, like, whatever. <laughs> yeah. 
And also the way that like everyone was so, uh, and it, for me, that's not so much the performance, but I was just entertained and curious whether or not that was the reaction at the time, like that everyone was so super excited about the prospect of going to war. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We finally get to take on the, the North. And I mean, it might be because, so I guess the biggest thing that bugged me about this film um, is the way that it is very much intended as a love letter to the bygone era where um, the Southern gentleman was filthy rich, um, a man of, of leisure, all on the back of the slave. Yeah. And, and like, even from the, and I was meant to write down exactly what it was, but like the opening text of the film that basically says, this is a movie about a time, a beautiful time long past that blah, blah, blah. And it literally says that like, we wish this was still the case. Does it actually could, say that? Not, not those words, right. but that sentiment is very much there. Um. And I, I guess with that sentiment, at least in the way it's being depicted in the film, comes this this attitude that everyone is super eager to defend their way of life, specifically owning people and making them do their work for them. Yeah. Um, that, of course, they're super happy about going off to take on the the villainous North that wants to take all that away. And another thing that bugged me with this movie, it seemed like all the slaves were happy to be slaves. Mm-hmm. And the ones that didn't go off to fight for their slave masters remained as servants. Really, there was no discussion on whether they were being paid at this point or not. They just kind of stuck around. Yeah. And it was that was kind of odd, to say the least. I think that's an important part of of um, a lot of sort of stories around the South is these ideas that slaves were happy to be slaves. Um, <coughs> Bullshit. Yeah, uh, but that was very much the message in you know another early um, 1900s film, um, The Birth of a Nation. Um, there were scenes in that one where you know, slaves were, were going to their masters and begging them not to uh, be released, begging, you know, not to let the, the North abolish slavery because that's where they wanted to be. And it's it's that kind of... Um, it's not even a case of the victor, you know, the winner writing history because right. the South lost. Yeah, But I guess it, even then, it's such a black mark on the history of America that even the winners who are opposed to slavery don't really want to talk about um, slavery. And they're like, you know, yeah, we, we totally freed the slaves, but also when we didn't do that, they were okay with being slaves. Right. You know, so all those years where it happened, it wasn't such a big deal. Right, but yeah. We finally they, were, they were fine with we everything that's happened. We just came in and made life better for them. Exactly. Yeah. No. No. And uh, and yeah, the poor the portrayal of the slaves was not great. Like, oh, you know, not not. Do you want to get into Prissy? Bright Prissy. Yeah. Prissy. Um, who I think Rhett referred to as a uh, forgive my language, a simple-minded darky. 
um, is, yeah, she's basically portrayed as being mentally incompetent, mentally ill, mentally... What would you say? I would say childlike. Yeah. You know, little white lies. Oh, I know how to do that. I've, I've, you know, done plenty of babies. And then when it got time to do the baby, she's like, I don't know what I'm doing. I just said that so I can yeah. see. They never let me see. I don't know nothing about I birth and no babies. No, yeah. Like, and just everything that she did was, it was either a lie or it was just, like she was so she was far below cows. them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like just like a like a kid, like a yeah. like a very young child. That's how. That's how she, they they portrayed her, right? Yeah. And then there were when you know all of the slaves are are speaking that kind of very mm-hmm. broken um, English that is stereotypical of those sorts of characters, I guess. Um, the the slave Pork, mm-hmm. um, I believe was his name. There was a, a great line, I thought, right after um, Scarlet made it back to Tara at the end of the first half of the movie, and she's arrived with a cow. And uh, and Pork says something like, uh, who's, who's going to milk the cow, ma'am? Uh, I'm just a, a house servant. And, you know, it, it sort of has this implication that, like, he couldn't learn, right? Because he's right. he's a slave. He's a black person. Of course, he can't learn something new. This is what he does. He's a house slave. Uh, he can't learn how to do something outside. Um, and, again, that, that line just sort of rubbed me the wrong way a little bit. Do you have any parts of the film that, that struck you as particularly problematic beyond the ones that I've mentioned? or In, in terms of the, the racial divide? Particularly, but I mean, if there's other things too, we could talk about that. I would say for me, it was it was just the eagerness and the willingness of every black character to help or assist um, their their white quote unquote masters. Yeah. Um, during the war, you know, going to war, it just didn't seem all the relationships seemed so false they seemed mm-hmm. fake they seemed unrealistic you know yeah totally like slaves are going to go willingly i mean maybe they went but i doubt they went willingly if they really understood the situation as it they, was they sure yeah the um what was it big Big Al, Big Sam, big, big Sam, Big Sam, yeah, uh, Big Sam, and the rest of the um, the field um, slaves from the, the the plantation. There's a scene where they're sort of marching off to dig trenches on the mm-hmm. front lines. They're they're happy as can be. They're like singing songs, and, and this is going off to yeah. Well, and this is during that scene you're talking about where there's so many dead or dying people laying around too. I think it's earlier than that, but oh, is it? I thought it I was think, yeah because they haven't at that point the um the fighting hasn't quite gotten to the city yet. Oh okay. Okay. But I mean they're they're marching off to, you know, maybe get blown up while they're digging trenches and perfectly perfectly content to do that. 
And around that same time too, there's a scene where speaking of, of, you know, the, the happiness and slaves, um, Scarlet and, uh, one of the other sort of, I think older women that she had hung out with were walking away from one place. And there's this, this group of, of black people on the street that are like singing and dancing. And I suspect that they must all be, I guess at that point, no, it's, it is during reconstruction. So they would be freed slaves at that point, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, 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 basically Scarlet and the other woman, they, they plow right through the middle of them unnecessarily, I think. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> yeah. the other woman is like waving her hat to like get them out of the way. And that, that kind of disrespectful treatment just felt very much like how dare you exist freely like this, enjoying yourself on our streets. Oh my God. Yeah, because, because, ah, oh, fuck, what's his name? Scarlet? Because mm-hmm. Scarlet's going through something. Right, yeah. He's having a hard time here. God. That was probably after, Scarlet. I think that was just before she um, discovered that Kennedy had the, the store, and I think it was after she tried getting money from Rhett while he was in prison. And she was pissed mm. off because she couldn't convince Rhett to give her any money. Boo-hoo. No, sorry. I I've, yeah. I I have like little to no sympathy for that woman. No, I I have little to no sympathy for most of the characters in the film. Although, um, oh, I think we talked about this earlier, and you suggested yeah. that Melanie might be somewhat sympathetic, and I yeah, I agree with that. Melanie seemed like she she generally gave a shit about the people around her. Yeah, and you know, I mean, at least that's how she was written, right? Yeah, and uh, it almost seemed like Melanie and. Uh, Ashley, who, if you haven't watched the movie, spoiler alert, they're cousins and they're married. So, you know, yeah, yeah. that was a thing, apparently. Uh, but they were all proud of it back then. It wasn't like a, yeah, because I think it wasn't a dig like it is now. It was mentioned in the movie too, that some other people had married their cousins or this second cousin. And yeah, it's talked about as if it was, you know, the norm and I, I mean, not the norm, and but it's, it's acceptable. It's funny. It, it's, oh, sorry, go ahead. Well, no, it just, it goes, it goes along the line too of like the, um, the cliche notion that Southerners marry their cousins. Yeah. I was just going to say like, right. Like that's the whole cliche. And like back then it was like something to be proud of. It was like, oh, they keep it in the family. And now it's like, oh yeah. Southerners, they're inbred. Right. Yeah. And it's like, you know, all these actors that played like all the Southerners, uh, all the slave owners were, you know. Maybe not all of them, but the majority of them were, you know, physically fit, attractive, you know, um, suave. Do you think that really was the case back then? Or, you know, I imagine in reality, some of these people were just buck teeth, snot nose, boiling. Oh, I, you know, I don't know. Um, Maybe not necessarily fit because, you know, they wouldn't necessarily have done a lot of work, but I mean, they were, they were socialites, right? It was all about the, the, the parties and the dancing and the, the mint juleps and because they didn't have to work, they had the slaves do the work for them. They had all the financial benefits. Mm -hmm. And so it was very much like sort of those, that, that stuff from the very beginning of the movie where, 
they're at the 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 big barbecue and everyone's just you know gossiping about who was going to marry who and right who was falling in love with who and it's just I mean I don't know very much about the south of that era but I wouldn't be surprised if it was at least close to that. Okay. But who knows? I don't know. I don't know. I wasn't there. No. <laughs> I don't no. know. Um, shit, I had a point. What were we talking about before this? Marrying Cousins? Marrying Cousins. No, I was talking about... Oh, okay. So, Melody and Ashley were, I think, and this is my opinion, kind of written to um, encapsulate the perfect Southern couple okay you know like they actually held honor you know even in the face of temptation he went off to war he was valiant he was you know dignified he you know thought for the future he had all these things all these characteristics that i think the southerners at least felt like they had maybe yeah and Melanie was just the purest of wives, pure to her husband, pure to her friends, um, even in the face of of Ashley and because I don't think anything happened between Ashley and Scarlett, but no, beyond it I don't definitely think could have the, been taken that way from the she, context. They kissed each other once, and then he held her in the the lumber factory once which was right so scandalous well i mean if you walked in on that you'd think yeah i mean i can see that but uh and i love how they 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 gave that this one line in the in the film they gave that to the person that they had written to be the ideal southerner and he said i would have freed them all once my father passed and I had control right. of the plantation, like bullshit, you would have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? It's like they were trying to say that the Southerners, or you know, by by placing him as the ultimate or the uh, ideal Southerner. Yeah, yeah. And he had that, you know, empathy for the slaves. It was seemed like just a roundabout way to alleviate that um what's the word i'm looking for you know you got cause and effect you got fuck what's the word you know what i mean i uh, i don't know the word but i i think i get what you mean yeah okay that was a long ways to get to a really simple point <laughs> there was though speaking of of that sort of thing I'm, I'm reminded of another scene that i thought was quite funny and it was when um Scarlet is first starting uh, the lumber mill and um, she gets convicts working for her. Yep. And, uh, and Ashley is like, you know, um, we really shouldn't be, be doing this. Like the, the, the foreman is going to like beat these guys and, and not treat them very well. Whereas if we hired some, some Negroes, um, they would do a much better job. And Scarlett's like, well, we can't afford to pay um, the Negroes. And so it seemed like these convicts ultimately were going to be put in pretty much the same kind of working condition 
as the new slaves, the slaves were. Yeah. But because these are now white people, Ashley's like, ooh, I don't know if we should do this. <laughs> right. <laughs> and it's oh, like now that God. now that we have to to like play pay the black people to come in here and do the work, I, I don't know if that's really worth it. It was uh I don't know if the film intended that scene at the time to be as telling kind of as it is looking at it now. No, I don't think I think that they intended to romanticize. Like it, yeah, it really totally. it really feels like like you said, a love letter. A love letter to Yeah. to the racist slave owning South. Yeah. Um is there anything we haven't talked about yet? I don't know, her like five minutes of hardship. <laughs> Speaking before of, she marries Kennedy. Yeah. Yeah. And how she tried and to that, a turnip. Yeah, she, well. apparently <laughs> um apparently they had to uh, uh get a different actress to actually record the sound of of retching there. Um and from what I read, there's two two stories for why. One either um Vivian Lee's performance wasn't very good. Mm-hmm. And then the other is that Vivian Lee refer uh, refused to do fake barfing there because it wasn't ladylike. Oh, okay. So. Well, you know what I say to that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but you know what's really funny is through this whole movie, through all the characters that are around here, Melanie and and the friends, and. Even Ashley, after he's kind of like told her, like, you know what? You got to leave me alone, right? Yeah. The only redeeming thing that she had done that let these people convince themselves that they need to stick by her was, you know, that that short amount of like effort that she put in. Yeah. And it was funny. I don't know if that was what was intended, but it was like, that meant so much more than everything else that she had done in her life. All the boys that she had chasing her, all the fake marriages and wealth that she had afterwards, it all came back to, well, you know, she kept us together in tarot when everything was falling apart. And yeah. we, we can't abandon her because she kept us together and she kept us exactly. fed. And, you know, I don't know. If, like I said, I don't know if that was the intention, but it was that was an interesting, interesting point. Mm-hmm. That I kind of took away from it. Yeah, I'm thinking now that <laughs> the movie this reminds me the most of is like Boogie Nights, except I guess with a lot less pornography. Um, wait, wait, wait! I've never seen Boogie Nights. Speak. Oh, really? Speak about the pornography. Uh, it's a really good movie, but it's it's set in the world of porn in the 1970s and 1980s, but it's. It's a story that, you know, everyone is kind of, they've got everything at the beginning. There's a little bit of a rise for um, the main character played by Mark Wahlberg. But basically early on, you know, everybody's rich, everybody's having a good time, everything's great. And then towards the middle of the film, everything falls apart for everybody. Uh, And then by the end of the film, everybody's got everything back again. Everybody's happy. And most importantly, nobody's really learned anything. (laughs) And I kind of feel like that's the case here, right? Like at the end of the movie. Um, so after going for, f- for practically four hours of Scarlet convinced that she is in love with Ashley and Ashley is the only one for her. 
we get to the end of the film where Melanie is on her deathbed. Um, and, and Ashley's like, I will never love another woman as much as her. And finally, after all this, and, you know, four hours real time and like something like 12 years of in, um, in movie time, Scarlett's finally like, oh, I guess he won't love me. Oh, yeah. yeah. Wait, maybe yeah. I love Rhett. But I, and I and also runs off to Rhett as he's packing to leave. Yeah. And she's like, oh, Rhett, though, I do really love you. And, uh, well, as film history knows, it doesn't <laughs> much give a damn. <laughs> Frankly, my dear, I don't. Yeah, okay. But, uh, yeah. but even then, even then, after he's gone, yeah. she's talking to herself and thinking to herself that she'll hunt him down. She'll find him. Yeah. Um, things will be better tomorrow. Tomorrow is another day for me to spend 12 years <laughs> pining, pining over, over somebody, somebody different. Me, yeah. But <sighs> can I, can I circle back just a little bit? Because there was another sure. point to that whole situation that really stuck out to me, how she ended up making Melanie's death all about her. <laughs> like it was, you know, it was sad. She went in and talked to Melanie. She had that that heart to heart with Melanie, and Melanie basically told her everything that she wanted to hear. And then she went out and, in front of her husband, basically mauled uh, the soon to be uh, wi- widower. Is that what it is for yeah. a man, a widower? Yeah. Um. And then when he doesn't reciprocate, she's like, oh my God, he doesn't love me. You know, there's a woman dying in the next room, but she's got to have this whole fucking monologue about her fucking love life. <laughs> that bo- that bothered me. Yeah. I don't feel like that needed to happen like in the fucking hospital. That could right. have happened. But again, no, it's, the movie's already four hours long. We've got to keep it snappy, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, she's got to have this revelation as soon as she's in, a, in on her deathbed. Oh, uh, uh, what a movie. <laughs> uh, and I will say, too, this is the first time that I've seen this movie. I don't know if, uh, if I lose film nerd cred for that, but uh, I will also admit that I was not a, a super big fan. I will uh I will rave about its its technical achievements. It's a very good looking film. There's some pretty great shots in it. Um it, it might have um you know, obviously I, I I think films that have characters that never learn anything uh, can be entertaining. I've I've you know, I mentioned Boogie Nights. Yeah, so I'm a big fan of that film. Okay. Um maybe this would have been easier to take if it wasn't four hours long. I don't know. Okay, what know. was the point of this movie? What, like, everybody's got a point when they write something. There's a, there's a reason for it. What was the reason behind this book? What was the reason behind this movie other than just romanticizing a bullshit system? Or do you think that was the only the only purpose behind it? Yeah, I think it was a bit of that. I think it was a bit about um, writing about... The Civil War, um, I think, completely one-sided. Yeah, but I mean, and it like, was, let's. It was... Oh, I never talked about how every time a Yankee or a Northerner, right, which is what they call what they called the Northerners, yeah, Yankees. Yankees. Um, every time a Yankee was around, he was dirty, vile. Um, 
you know, about to rob or rape. Yeah, exactly. Like, very, very one-sided film. For sure. Yeah, but I think, too, like, it was written by a woman who grew up kind of in the wake of the Civil War in the South. And so that's the perspective that she's speaking from. And I, I, I think I've read that, you know, some people have... Uh, argued that her depiction of slaves in the book, which is also very similar to the depiction of slaves in the film, uh, came from the fact that like these are maybe the stories that she was told growing up that that's how it was. That slaves were happy to be there and right and blah 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 blah. And yeah, because like kid asks like, "Mommy, firsthand. Daddy, I know you had slaves. Why?" And they're like, yeah. "Oh, honey, they were happy to be here." Yeah, yeah. You know what? I do have a theory about. Uh, what the the point of this movie was. Okay. The point of this movie was so that we would have something to talk about on this episode because we're so far behind on reading the book that we're supposed to read. (laughs) Oh my God. They didn't know it at the time. They didn't. No. But that was the real point behind making Gone with the Wind. And I am super grateful (laughs) for them for doing that. Okay. That, can I tell a story that, that reminds me of? Just, sure. just a short one. So, <laughs> this okay. It, I'll circle back to why what you said reminded me if if it's not clear. But uh, okay, I'm driving home from work one day, and I pull off the highway onto our road, and somebody has got themselves stuck in the ditch. I'm not really sure how. It didn't seem like an obvious place to be stuck in the ditch, but they were stuck. So I pulled over and I was like, you know, hey, what's going on? You, are you stuck? And they're like, yeah, we are. Uh, you know, we don't know if we should call a tow truck or what. And I said, you know what? I'll go home. I'll grab my four by four by four truck. I'll come and I'll pull you out. And I come back with the truck and a sling and all that. I tie them off and I'm looking at where they are. I'm like, look, I can pull you out. I can't promise there's not going to be any damage. It's up to you if you want to wait for the tow truck. And they're like, no, you know, we trust you. If you think we can get us out. It was in the wintertime, so it was all like ice and snow. It's pretty smooth sailing to pull somebody out of the ditch, right? So I pulled them out. Nothing was damaged. Everything was good. And, uh, you know, I, I felt good for doing something good. I was like, yeah, you know, these guys are having a rough time. It's cold out here. They're just sitting out here. I got them out of the ditch. They're back on their way. Right on. And they're like... Uh, First they said thank you, which was nice, but then they decided to thank God in front of me. They're like, thank you, God, for bringing him to us at our time of need. <laughs> and I was like, because uh, they were missionaries, right? Yeah, yeah. And I was like, um, yeah, cool. See you later. And I left and I got thinking about it later. And I was like, that was a really arrogant fucking thing to say. It's like, I grew up in Williams Lake. I'd lived up that road since I was four years old. I must have been like 27 at the time. So that's like 23 years kind of spent in the same general area. And all of that time, all the whole part of my life was just so that I could be there at that one moment when these two idiots decided to get their car stuck (laughs) on a perfectly straight fucking stretch of road. Amen. God works in mysterious ways. Right. It's like exactly like you're saying, like, oh, well, I can't thank 
thankfully they made this movie so we could do this. It was like the same <laughs> arrogant fucking bullshit, right? Hey. <laughs> um, I don't know about you. I, I'm about done with, I think, what I can talk about with this movie. Have you got any further thoughts? Uh, you know what? Other than maybe if we, we if we wanted to rate it, give it a few different ratings. I'd say cinematography, four out of five. I'd say story, two out of five. I'd say acting, one and a half out of five. But uh, yeah, uh, I give I give five out of five to um, Rhett Butler's fake teeth. <laughs> Those are fake. I think they were fake. Oh, yeah. Okay, okay. Um, it's the mustache drew me away from the obvious fakeness of the teeth. That mustache was so. <laughs> You reminded me of uh, the Adams family. What was the fucking? Was it Dad's name? Right, the Adams Gomez family. Gomez Adams. Gomez Adams. Did that character ever play Gomez Adams? Because it would have been perfect. Did Clark Gable ever play Gomez Adams? Is that what you're asking? I, I am asking that, but by your tone, I'm feeling like that was a stupid question. No, I, I mean I don't. Oh, okay. I don't know. Okay. Probably not. And it probably is a stupid question, especially, you know, if the answer is no, but <laughs> um, yeah, I'm not sure. I'm pretty sure he didn't, but. That's a perfect Gomez fucking stash though. <laughs> perfect. Uh, yeah. So that was, that was Gone with the Wind. If you haven't seen Gone with the Wind. Uh, this conversation probably didn't make much sense because <laughs> we didn't spend much time talking about the details of the film, but it's 1939. It was made. So if you haven't seen it by now, it's more than <laughs> ours. Uh, also, we neglected to mention at the beginning that there are spoilers in this film or in this review or in this discussion. But again, the movie came out in 1939. So it's to be expected <laughs> at this point, I think. Uh, next episode, uh, barring an apocalyptic event, I think we will be back to discussing the autobiography of Malcolm X. I only have two chapters left to read, so I, I got like almost two weeks to get that done. So I shouldn't have any excuses. Uh, I'm uh, out of out of the kindness of my heart. I'm not going to ask Oren how much he has or hasn't read. Um, <laughs> we'll find out next time. I don't know if it's the kindness of your heart or if you just don't want to have a heart attack. I just probably safety, don't want to know. Safety of your heart. I am I am saving my own sanity <laughs> here as exactly what's going on. Oh, hey. Ignorance. They, I've, I've often heard ignorance is bliss, so. <laughs> <laughs> is that why we're so depressed all the time, Todd? Maybe. Okay. It might very well be. Um, can, uh, can we throw something at the listeners real quick? Yeah. Uh, you talked about doing a possible live episode after the last episode talking about the autobiography, so do you want to... Yeah, so um, one of the things I thought about as uh, we were approaching the end of our look at the autobiography of Malcolm X, um, next episode we'll be talking about sort of the last chapters of the book, and then the episode after that we'll be looking at the sort of 100 or so page epilogue, uh, and also along with that, hopefully if we're able to track it down, I'd like to be able to have watched and talk about uh, the film Malcolm X uh, by Spike Lee. But I realized that at no point along this 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 journey because we're only talking about specific sections of the book we haven't had an opportunity to sort of talk about our take on the book as a whole and specifically engage in a conversation about how we feel 
about the fact that the book was challenged or banned? Do we think that its banning was justified? Um, things like that. And so I thought it would be interesting to do sort of a final wrap-up episode where we talk about those things. But on top of that, I've discovered that one of the things that we can do through Podbean, which is our host uh, for this podcast, we can run a live podcast. And that struck me that that would be a really, I think, interesting way to have that final wrap-up episode. We we do a live version on the Sunday when... Um, when an episode would normally drop, so it was Sunday afternoon, and we'd promote it in advance, so you know people knew what time it was going on, and then, as we're recording live and broadcasting live, listeners could come and engage with us. And uh, I'm not sure right now; I haven't done any tests on what the the live broadcast is like, but presumably there are some ways of engaging with the audience, either through a chat board, maybe, or even better, uh, if listeners could call in and talk to us. And, uh, and be part of the process of discussing sort of our overall reaction to the book. Um, yeah, and that's my hope is that we can make that happen because I think that'll be a really, really um, fun way to have, a like I said, a final look at the book that we're reading for this part of the show. Um, if nobody comes, it'll still just be me and Oren um, – shooting the shit like we normally do. Um, <laughs> but hopefully we will have the opportunity to uh, engage with some listeners and, and, you know, we can bring their thoughts um, on, on the book or on the podcast into the conversation. And I'm excited about that possibility. Hell yeah. Yeah. Until then though, I think, uh, I think we've done about as much damage as we can do for this episode. Um, as always, I have been Todd Sullivan. <laughs> have okay. Have been Todd Sullivan. You have is not that been proper? Todd is that proper English? I have been. I have been Todd Sullivan. Yeah, I guess it is. It sounded yeah. weird. For I, and reason. I still am. I am Todd Sullivan. <laughs> and I'm Oren Barcher. Thanks for listening. Uh, go watch a fucking movie, I guess. <laughs> <laughs>